Hello and welcome to a 2019 trade deadline special episode of the 94 NBA podcast. Corbin, how are you doing after this crazy eventful deadline? Bro, I am just getting my bearings back together. It's been insane. Retweeting Twitter constantly, my fingers just moving on its own. I mean, it, it's it's been exciting. I'm I'm pumped. This has been it's been a fun, unexpected, just straight up crazy last 48 hours. Yeah, my thumb keeps doing the scrolling motion, uh, <laughs> even though I don't have my phone in my hand. I'm so used to scrolling on Twitter all day. I love it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, obviously, everyone who listens to this show knows for the most part, what what went down um, this week, because it, really the, the madness started on Wednesday um, with the Tobias Harris deal, which is what will kick off our coverage of the deadline. Um, so for all the deals that we'll cover, I'm, I'm going to give the specifics. So in this Tobias Harris trade, the Sixers, the 76ers got obviously Tobias Harris um, and his best friend Boban Marjanovic, uh, along with Mike Scott. And the Clippers got Landry Shamit, Wilson Chandler, Mike Muscala, the Sixers 2020 first round pick, which I believe is lottery protected. Um, and they also got the unprotected 2021 first round pick from the Heat, which is one of those hot commodities that's bounced around over the past couple of years. Um, and then they also got second round picks in 2021 and 2023. This deal came out of nowhere. Um, th- there were no rumors. You know, Tobias Harris obviously is an expiring player, uh, unrestricted free agent. But a big part of of the Clippers of the Clippers team this season, and you know, basically since they acquired him for, for Blake Griffin, um, there were no rumors that they were shopping him. Obviously, people had discussed the idea of shopping him because obviously the Clippers have you know big fish aspirations for free agency, um, and maybe they didn't feel comfortable paying Tobias Harris the max because that could kind of limit your ceiling as a team. But the Sixers just said, you know what, we're going to go all in. We're going to get Tobias Harris as our fourth option. We're going to give up a bunch of future assets. Um, we're about to get really expensive if everything works out and we bring everybody back, but we are taking this big swing and we are going all in starting now. Um, and so this to me still seems like a slight overpay. Um, and there is obviously some risk. The risk is that, you know, if you have four players on your team on max deals, which is what they're about to have, you know, as soon as basically next season, um, you know, how can you build around that? Obviously, there are four, you know, really good players. If Tobias Harris is your fourth option, you're obviously are going to be a good team if people can kind of work out how to play alongside each other. But then you're really left to minimum contracts, you know, mid-level exceptions and whatever draft picks you have. You have to hit on basically all of that to, to get some solid depth around them. Um, and we can talk about the Sixers moves that they made after this deal you know, to, to kind of replenish that depth. Um, the other risk is, is the idea of that there being too many mouths to feed. You know, there's only one basketball. Jimmy Butler loves to have the ball in his hands. He's not a, he's not really an effective off ball player. Ben Simmons can't shoot. He's at his best with the ball in his hands. Embiid obviously needs his post-ups. And then you need, you have Tobias Harris there who is, you know, probably their best off ball player due to his ability to shoot. Um, but he's also a good ball handler who, who can initiate some pick and rolls and kind of get to his own shot. So, you know, that is a, that is probably the biggest concern here is are there going to be, you know, are there too many mouths to feed? Obviously, J.J. Redick needs to get enough shots to stay in a shooting rhythm. Um, 
that that is probably the big concern. Um, so basically, financially, you know, how's that going to limit their their team billing, their ability to build a team around them, and then also on the court, the ability to get everyone involved, to keep everyone satisfied, and to win games. Um, again, because this is there's very limited time for them to kind of build this chemistry and get everyone on the same page for the start of this year's playoffs. Um, now they're not the only <laughs> Eastern Conference team that made a big move, which we'll get to <laughs> no, later. Sir. But um, those are my initial thoughts, at least from the Philly perspective, on the Tobias Harris deal. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you in a certain extent because I do think, one, totally out of nowhere, completely unexpected. And having <clears throat> excuse me, a player like Tobias Harris, it, I think is not only a boon for the 76ers right now, but also it, I think it makes them a whole lot better in regards to possibly extending and, and having a good shot at getting him and resetting him in the offseason. It would just be a lot better than him saying, you know, and Tobias Harris loved L.A., loved where he was at to say, listen, you know, I've, I've been with this team. They've had a fairly competitive roster. I'm paying my money. I'll stay there. Where Philadelphia will probably get a meeting, but probably wouldn't have them. Now, the ball is kind of in Philadelphia's court, so to speak. But, yeah, and, and I can't even speak about that. I was going to say my one concern was really about the bench depth pieces. But, as we both know, Philadelphia has made some moves since then to kind of fill that up as well, which we'll get to. But I like it. I, I have the opinion that it's still star power. I mean, by any estimation, Tobias Harris should have been an all-star. So that that is there right there. So you have him, you have Joel Embiid, you have, you know, Ben Simmons, you have a shot mate, a shot maker in JJ Redick. And yes, all of them need to find, you know, their rhythm and their touches. Um literally every one of them. I think Tobias Harris is gonna benefit from being maybe a fourth option here in, in the sense that he could possibly be more efficient, play off of people a little more, maybe Brett Brown will stagger him to come off different lineups. Um, maybe with the bench unit or something, kind of mix up any four of those, really. I mean, even ben, even ben Simmons, while he may not be like an elite shot maker, can create offense at a high clip. So having that potential there is great as well. It's just, it's so interesting. And honestly, I thought that was going to be the trade that shook up the um, Eastern Conference, <laughs> and then <laughs> yeah, it did, for like, it did for like 24 hours, basically. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it, it's kind of crazy that, that happened, but I, I thought it was a big one. I think Philadelphia got instantly stronger. I thought, listen, they'd make some moves in the bio market. Maybe, possibly, I thought there would be a trade or two to bring in some pieces to, to build up that depth. I did not um, anticipate what would transpire, but this is, it was a good, impactful trade. I think it worked for both sides for the Clippers – Having, I mean, they had at the time had some pieces, more or less it was the draft picks and the space, because now you do have that room and you kind of know where you're aligned. And if you don't, if you do run out and let's say, you know, they were kind of in playoff contention without Tobias Harris and let's say further moves they've made, let's say they fall out of it, that's fine because if their pick's in the lottery, then it isn't transferred over. I forgot who has their pick. If I, I want to say it's the, uh, I forgot. I'm, I'm not going to put myself on the spot there. I know that their pick is gone if it's outside the lottery, if I remember correctly. And so if they, if they are outside, if they are in the lottery, they have that pick. They have space for two max free agents. And you already have, you know, Shai Gilgis, Alexander, and some other pieces that you could say, hey, listen, free agent A, free agent B, you know, we have plenty of room. We can sign you and a free agent friend of your choice and kind of build around you with some solid vets. What do you say? And so I think that actually was a trade that worked for both teams. Yeah, so um... – it's the Celtics who have the Clippers pick. It, that, it's, uh... Don't the Celtics <laughs> everyone's future pick? <laughs> Basically. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so before we dive into the Clippers perspective, I want to um, continue on with the Sixers because th- I mean, there is risk here in the fact that 
Tobias Harris, I think that the, the, the Clippers realize that there are going to be teams out there that are going to throw Tobias Harris the max. And I think the 76ers know that too. And the Sixers are, are all indications are that the Sixers are prepared to give Butler and Harris whatever deals they want to make sure that they stick around. So at least from all indications, the ownership is prepared to pay a huge amount of luxury tax and just pay a huge amount for this team moving forward. Um, but there's still risk. What if... They get bounced out. They disappointed. They have a disappointing showing in the playoffs. What if Tobias Harris? We know his Harris's uh, usage is going to drop. What happens if it drops? You know, too much for him, where he's where he's just not happy. What if it happens for drops too much for Butler, where he's not happy? We know what Butler has had some issues in locker rooms before. Volatile. There yep. are. There's a way for both of those players, Butler and Harris, to kind of sit there and. Get a get a max offer from another team in free agency that says you know what you're gonna you're gonna play 35 minutes a game you're gonna be our number one you're gonna be our number two you'll be our number three for Harris who's gonna be at the number four on this team all those potential roles on different teams are maybe more appealing to him obviously they're probably if he's there one or two they're not gonna be a really good team but the Nets I think I mean all reports are that the Nets are gonna be all over Tobias Harris you know starting midnight July 1st and they can offer him a big role with a bunch of opportunities and kind of be you know him and D'Angelo Russell and, and grow with the other young core. Um, the Jazz are rumored to be interested in Tobias Harris, where you can kind of go and another Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert. Jimmy Butler, wow. he's older. I'm not sure how many teams are going to be, you know, enthusiastic to give him a max deal um, if it's over, like, the full four years. Um, but th- there's going to be some offers for him, and if he doesn't like it in Philly, he can just leave. There is a lot of risk because if, if somehow the worst-case scenario is that both of them leave and they gave up these draft assets for – pretty much you know half a season of not even half a season of Harris and like three quarters of a season for Jimmy Butler um, obviously there's kind of insurance where if Butler leaves they can just turn around and you know give Harris his deal and then Harris becomes the third option um, and vice versa and if Harris leaves then they can just resign Butler and they'll still have one of them I doubt that they end up with you know I doubt that both of them leave this summer I'm, I'm sure they're gonna have one of them on the roster if not both um, but on the court I mean they have a huge Huge starting lineup. I mean, you know, Simmons, basically, Simmons is basically their point guard. J.J. Redick, I think, is like 6'4". You got Jimmy, you got Tobias Harris, you got Joel Embiid. That is a massive, in terms of size, starting lineup. Mm-hmm. And it's also a really, really good one. I mean, you mentioned they basically have four all-star level players um, and then a great shooter, one of the best, you know, based in recently history in J.J. Redick, spacing the floor around. And that is an awesome starting lineup. Um and then, you know, they fill, they, you know, Mike Scott is a player that's going to get a good amount of minutes. He can space the floor. He knows what he's doing. It's kind of a backup power forward. Um, Boban is, is going to be a guy who can give him 10 to 15 minutes, you know, here and there um, on matchups where they're going up against, like, the Celtics and Aaron Beans, like, bigger guys. Um, they, got, they, got, they got pieces off the bench, and we can get to that, um, you know, the subsequent trades they made later in the day, or mainly on Thursday, I should say. Um, and for the Clippers... Basically, what what you what you said is, is is what it is. You know, they didn't really probably feel comfortable paying Tobias Harris the max. They've got other bigger plans, um, like a Kawhi Leonard and somebody else. Um, and basically, they viewed Tobias Harris as 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 an expiring deal. And to get this much for an expiring deal, um, when you also have the you have to factor in their first round pick protection that they want they can keep it now if they're going to be in the lottery um this is a this is a great return for them to get two first round picks and two second round picks and Landry Shamit who was a first round pick this past year um that is you know that is that is a great return for them and they actually subsequently flipped Mike Muscala to get another young guy in Zubac from the Lakers which we'll talk about later um so I love the return for the Clippers I love this kind of real approach that they're making they're not saying oh 
you know, wh why we should be fighting for the A seed. Well, what's the point of fighting for the A seed? You're going to be swept by the Warriors. Why not just stay yeah. in the lottery, keep your pick, get future assets, open up, you know, even more potential cap space, get some younger players, and then, you know, go from there. No, it's true. And you're right. The value that they got back for Tobias Harris. Now, we both know Tobias Harris ain't no slouch. I mean, he's really good. 20-point score. He's hitting 43% of his three-point shots. He's consistent so far. He's increased that three-point shooting production. And, and yeah, that, that was quite a haul for him. I mean, in um, Landry Shavin, who's a very good shooter in those number of picks. But, yeah, at the same time, the Clippers set themselves up for the future as well. You're right. It's a business decision. And I think Jerry West and management is going just what you said. Golden State, really? Like, we know we're not good for that. So let's rebuild, retool. And other moves are made, I know, with um, Avicii Zubac, who I actually like, Lakers fan, I'm kind of sad, that – you know, he's there. He'll get some consistent minutes having a, a, a young big over there on that end, Martian Gartat. Um, I think last I checked was being waived or, or buyout. Yeah. So that's going to happen. But, yeah, you're basically rebuilding, retooling and kind of seeing what you have. You have some draft picks to restock. You have a young guard. You got a young center. You got some veteran pieces that can, can stick around while their value is still there, not only for the youth on this team, but let's say later on in the trade or just have some veteran leadership. So there is definitely some room and some stuff there for them. But, uh, yeah, this really works. And you brought up an excellent point with the risk-reward for the 76ers, because you are right. Even if it works at best, let's say it just doesn't vibe. You know, let's not even say Jimmy Butler has an out, uh, outburst or anything. Um, the team works well, but it's just clunky. It just doesn't fit, and moving on, Tobias Harris is sweet. He has no – I mean, the intention is for the 76ers to resign him, but he has no loyalty there in the sense that there's any reason for him not to. He could check it out if it doesn't fit to his riding or, you know, if he's swayed by another team. There he goes. Jimmy Butler, who knows what that guy thinks half the time. He's a talented player as well, but, I mean, the locker room fit is weird. I heard several different things about that. But, yeah, they, they – oh, man, this is a trade I think that I was trying to evaluate. And it's like, wow, this is really good. And there's some good pieces on this trade. Uh, there's something on uh, Liberty Ballers about the thoughts on the twice um, Harris trade. I know our guy Jackson Frank put a nice article about how he fits. I was just with... about to plug him for that. Ah, <laughs> uh, see, I got you. Yeah, you put an article about that that I really enjoyed as far as how he fits on the team offensively. So there's, there, it's it's going to be fun to watch, but I really think that was like the first move that went down that I was like, hmm, I'm going to need some reflection on that. This is this is one of those trades where it's like you have to watch the Sixers like for the next couple of weeks. Um, conveniently, their first game with Harris will be against the Nuggets on ESPN, which should be a great one. Um, to watch anyways but yeah that piece by uh jackson um is awesome it actually got me even more excited for harris on the sixers just because jackson who obviously follows the sixers much closer than both you know you know both oh, we yeah, do. For sure. um he actually you know provided specific examples of plays that the sixers run over and over and basically said imagine harris taking this open three instead of Embiid. imagine harris setting the screen here imagine harris getting the ball off ball here like he actually went through specific examples of plays the sixers run where Harris will fit in and, and improve them and also get enough shots for him. And then obviously they're going to stagger their stars. So you know, guys should get enough looks um, to stay somewhat satisfied. But there obviously is still some risks. Uh, um, so before we move on to the other big deals from the East, let, let, let's talk about what the Sixers did after this um, because they're pretty key too. Um, so obviously they traded a bunch of depth. Well, they traded depth for Butler, a two-for-one deal. Then they traded depth here for Tobias, obviously they got Mike Scott and Boban, who Boban, who are gonna who are gonna provide some minutes for them. But they needed they needed pieces, and what they did was the first move they made was being a huge uh, beneficiary of the Rockets' guide to cutting uh, ducking the luxury tax, um, and traded J J traded for James Ennis, 
Um, and what the deal was, was literally the Sixers got James Ennis and the Rockets got swap rights to a 2021 second round pick, um, which is which is pretty much peanuts. Um, the, so they put James Ennis there as kind of a backup wing. And then more, more notably, they, they, they finally sold on Markel Fultz. And they traded Fultz to the Magic, a team that was always rumored about being interested in Fultz. And the Sixers received Jonathan Simmons, the OKC 2020 first-round pick, which is top 20 protected. So basically, if it's in the bottom 10 of the first round, the Sixers will get it. Otherwise, it'll become two second-round picks. Um, And then they're going to get a Cleveland second-round pick, I believe, in 2019 or 2020. um, But that is unprotected. Um, That's a pretty juicy second-round pick right there. So... um, for anyone who's excited about Jonathan Simmons, um, he has been no joke one of the worst offensive players in basketball this season. Um, I mean, oh, he, man. he can't hit a shot at all, um, and he's nowhere near the player that that was on the Spurs two years ago. Um, he can still play defense, um, and and Ennis can somewhat play defense. Ennis can obviously hit more shots. Ennis is above 37 percent from three. Um, Ennis never really fit in Houston. He couldn't really get into the scheme of the switching scheme. Um, and, you know, I think he'll be fine in a limited role. I think he was a little bit miscast as one of the feature, featured wings on the Rockets. But He ain't no Ariza. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I think Ennis, I mean, for what they got, for what they gave for Ennis, I, I like the addition. Um, Fultz, you know, I like the picks more than I like the idea of Jonathan Simmons on the Sixers. Um, the one thing it is important to note that they did get off Fultz's contract for next year, which will, um, you know, Simmons, I think, is non-guaranteed, um, or it's a team option that's also non-guaranteed, I believe. So I, they'll, they'll basically be cutting all of Fultz's salary, which will help them a little bit financially. Um, Simmons can give them defense if they need it, but I don't think his offense is good enough for him to stay on the floor come playoff time, but that's not exactly what they need, I guess. No, and I, I'm with you on that. I think Simmons, well, for the year, 20 minutes a game, he's averaging basically just under seven points on 36 22 splits 36 percent from the field goal from field goal percentage 22.9 from three for his career he's 31 percent from three so he's never been like a great three-point shooter but you are totally right it's not like he was in san antonio even hit last year his first year in orlando he had nights where he was off or would take a lot of shots and he had nights where he was knocking down you know some shots at decent clip creating you know relatively okay i mean he's not an above average offensive player but he wasn't a net negative on that front at either um, this year, he's just been, all, on all accounts, just not very good. But I think even having those guys, if not for offense, let's say you stagger like we talked about. I would not, for the record also, in mid-thought, I would not play those guys with Simmons for extended minutes. Like, yeah. like I mean, <laughs> I mean, if James Ennis is your, is your best shooter out of those three and, like, let's say Boban and somebody else, that's not a lineup you're going for. But at the same time, as far as depth is concerned, James Ennis could shoot just enough. I mean, you've watched a lot more Rockets than I did. I, I always was kind of down on him, so I kind of had that that bias on him when he was brought in as an Ariza replacement. And, you know, he didn't quite fit in with the Rockets. You know, with several sequences where his kind of shot profile seemed to, you know, not sync up quite in line. Um, but having him and having Simmons as well as, like, he's a he's a guy I think will fit in Philadelphia because he's a dog defensively when, when inspired. Uh, you know, on a team that's, you know, pretty competitive, where he'll kind of get inside and be that type of defender that you can use, you know, to spare energy for Jimmy Butler or or someone of that sort. If you play him with like a Tobias Harris and a Simmons, I'm sure there's a lot more people way better at this than I am as far as um, putting up certain lineups that can best optimize them. You know, Jonathan Simmons had an objectively horrible year this year, but at the same time, I think being on a better team, um, I'm not going to say with a better coach, but with a coach who could put him in a better position, will probably work to his benefit. And, and Ennis, I think, will kind of thrive in a role where he could just play, I guess. 
or not have. I mean, he's going to have expectation on him, but I also think it's a little bit different than him going to Houston. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I think that's just you know thought. Yeah, I mean, he, he's be- he's better as a, as a wing that's giving you 15 to 20 minutes a game, not 25 to 30 minutes a game. And yeah. I think his he had two hamstring injuries this year, which probably were a big reason why he's he's looked pretty bad for the most part. I think uh-huh. over the past you know five to 10 games, he's actually looked probably the best he has all season. Um, he hits 37% of his threes, but his release is, is pretty slow and wonky, so that's why it's kind of hard for him to get off, get off a bunch of threes, um, unless he's pretty open. Um, the Sixers have enough shot creators to get him open shots. I think in a smaller role, he'll be able to play a little bit better defensively, maybe in a more traditional defensive scheme, and hopefully he can stay healthy. Again, they gave up almost nothing for him, and then Simmons can give you tough, rugged defense, uh, maybe for 10 to 15 minutes a game. Um, but really, I think the, the deal with Fultz was getting a, a first-round pick and, and a nice and a nice second-round pick, which helps them replenish some of the draft picks that they traded away for Harris and then also the potential financial flexibility they'll get um, starting in the summer where they don't have Fultz and they can just kind of get rid of uh, of Simmons' deal um, and use more money to spend on retaining Harris and Butler and then building around them. So an eventful... Deadline for the Sixers, but they were not the only team at the top of the East making Uh, big moves. Let us move on to the Toronto Raptors, who made the second biggest move of the deadline, um, basically of this week at least. Um, And that is the Raptors going out and getting Marc Gasol for the package of Jonas Valanciunas, DeLon Wright, CJ Miles, and a 2024 second round pick. Um, I like this for the Raptors. Um, I think... There was some concern, and I guess there still is con- some concern because their style of play this year um, has really been all about getting wings and moving Ibaka full-time to center, putting a Siakam at power forward, um, really having a bunch of wings around Ibaka at center, and then having this swarming defense that's all over the place. Um, and Gasol, you know, if he starts, you really can't do that. Um, how does... The, the, how does you know style of play and the minutes impact Gasol and Ibaka? Like, does Gasol start? Does Ibaka start? Is Ibaka okay with being the backup center? Maybe they just do it full time on a on, on matchup basis. You know, certain nights it's Ibaka yeah. starting, certain nights it's, it's Gasol starting, which is what they did when they had Ibaka and Valanciunas. But Gasol is more decorated than either of those two. He he may not be okay with you know an undefined role on a night-to-night basis. He might just want to be the starting center every night. Um, oh, I'm not yeah. sure what – I'm not. we don't know. I mean, that's just speculation. We don't know what his buy-in is going to be. But, I mean, offensively, Gasol's passing and his shooting give him a, a way to, to fit in the Raptors' offense and give him another, you know, layer to their offense where Baca is no playmaker, Valanciunas is no playmaker. Um, Ibaka's a really good mid-range shooter. He's kind of struggled from three a little bit this year. Valanciunas is starting to space the floor too, but Gasol is a better shooter than both of them and obviously a, a, still one of the best passing centers in the league. Um, so from that perspective, I like it from the Raptors. And the other perspective is what they gave up isn't that much. I mean, Valanciunas, I think, is a little bit underrated now. Um, I think he had been overrated the past couple of seasons, and this year he's kind of become underrated. But C.J. Miles was basically out of the rotation because he, he wasn't hitting threes anymore. And, and because of that, his contract is basically bad money. And then DeLon Wright is a as a pending restricted free agent this summer, and I think he's already 27 years old, and they've already got Fred Van Vliet there. And I know Wright can play kind of at the two and in, in, in dual guard lineups, but they got Fred Van Vliet, they're going to have Lowry. They, you know, they, they've got other guards there as well. Um, so, you know, two of the three players they traded for Gasol, you know, really weren't factoring much into their future plans, you know, due to age, due to their performance, due to other players they already have in the roster. So in that case, you're looking at it mainly as Valanchunas and that 2024 second-round pick, which we don't know 
I mean, 2024, it's five years from now. So that's really hard to predict. Um, you know, so for that reason, I like it for the Raptors. I'm not saying it's just like this great move that's going to clinch them as the Eastern Conference favorite and, and team that's going to go to the finals. But I do like it for them, given the package that they gave up is fairly limited, I should say. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they wasn't out of positions of need for the Raptors. They did. They gave out of their excess, really not of their want. So that was good there. As far as his fit, you're right. It's gonna take. It's gonna be interesting to see how he fits in. I would propose moving Abaka back to power forward full time if that was a, a possible um, solution, maybe, and then keeping Gasol there because I don't think Gasol is, and we don't know for for sure. But I don't know if he would be comfortable saying, "Listen, I'm gonna kind of give up that role and do it on like basically by committee matchups oriented matchups based." Because you know who knows. But again, that's something I'm not sure of. So really, just assumption here. However, I mean. You're right in the sense that Jonas Valanciunas is underrated, but I do think that as far as a floor, you know, or as far as the ceiling, Marcus Gasol raised it as having another just from his defensive ability, which, yes, he's 34, is not quite there on a physical level, but the know-how, he's not going to be like a dead giveaway. You know what I mean? As far as like someone you exploit again and again. He has enough defensive savvy there. He will definitely stretch the floor willingly. I think that will unlock something in the Raptors game at the very least something that they didn't have with Valanciunas more than a little bit although you know it was developing it's nowhere near Gasol just off sheer volume alone and I think you kind of mix and match and still have a more spread floor open with him and Ibaka whether you play them both in tandem play one for the other however that works another good passer and I think more or less or more or less than that or even more than that he'll be not even I don't want to say his play had been been waning but he's he's contending he's on a team that's contending you know and i think that just does something for the spirits of anyone i think gasol more than most players as well because he's very much an emotional player in that sense but yeah it, it's gonna bring a lot more versatility to that position i think definitely defensively um he, he's uh, pretty good as far as his statistics for rim protection are poor this year but overall the Raptors have been very good at holding that there and Gasol is still one of the great post defenders so if you put him on Al Horford you put him on a Joel Embiid I'm sure he'll more than hold his own there and kind of at least at the very least you know cancel each other out or even better maybe neutralize that matchup which is interesting so I mean in worst case scenario let's say it doesn't work you know the player option declines it goes to free agency let's say Kawhi leaves you know, you deal Lowry, you start over. I think, if anything, it's even more cleaner in that respect, but you put yourself maybe a higher ceiling to contend now as far as certain other matchups. And offensively, I mean, come on, man. I, I think it's going to be amazing there with, in Toronto. Yeah, I mean, th- this is basically a similar move to Kawhi where it's like if Kawhi leaves, they're going to rebuild pretty much no matter what, I would say. And, if you know, if Gasol opts out of the play option – you know, maybe it's because he doesn't like it there, or maybe it's because he's looking for a longer deal, like a three-year deal that has less annual value but has longer years on the deal committed money. Um, if both leave, then, you know, it's the rebuild that they were already planning to do. Uh, exactly. And they, they didn't give up OG. They didn't give up Van Vliet. They didn't give up Siakam, who actually – I would actually stick with Siakam at the, in starting lineup at the four and, and just put Ibaka as the full-time backup center. Um and I, I think at this point, Ibaka is just – he's just better at center. Um, and considering that they have Siakam and, and Anobi, you can play at the, at the four. Um, I think it makes more sense to put Ibaka at center where, you know, his shooting is a little bit more valuable and he can provide the rim protection, doesn't have to guard any quicker fours um, around the league. Um, but, yeah, I think offensively it's a nice fit to have Gasol's passing, to have his shooting, um, just to have his ability. He's, he's kind of that bruising big that can go up against certain other bigs, like, like an Embiid, like you said, in the East. Uh, I think there's the ability for 
other centers like a Horford and a Brooke Lopez to kind of play Gasol off the floor a little bit in terms of how much they can space the floor. But then mm-hmm. you still you got guys like Abaka. You can even maybe go small with a Siakam. Um, so I think they've got options for that, which is why again I've always been so high on the Raptors team this year. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for the, I, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I was going to say I read a, a great article by Blake Murphy on the Athletic uh, about you know the fit for Marcus Saul in 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 point guard play. As far as having Kyle Lowry, and he brought out that that's actually a reasonable enough like kind of comparison to a point guard for Gasol as far as point guard style. Yeah. That could work. You know, that, that synergy could be developed rather quickly. I mean, obviously different players, but you you know, there's different types of point guards and in Conley and or in Larry, that's almost the same type that would probably, you know, benefit from Gasol and Gasol benefiting from him there. I thought it was something interesting to point out too, because I didn't think about that, but that is true. You know, it's the difference between a Larry to a Westbrook to, you know, uh, Seth Curry. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I, I do like that idea too. Um, and you know, the Raptors could use a little bit more wing depth now. I think Wright's gone. I know Miles was kind of out of the rotation, but he was still a body there. Um, maybe they can get someone on the buyout market. They did, and oh. they basically sold off Greg Monroe later in the day um, to Brooklyn, Brooklyn and gave up a 2021 second round pick there, which is not significant. But for the Grizzlies, I don't really love the return. Um, I think this. I do think this is better than what they were. What the rumored package was from Charlotte, which would have taken, which would have included taking on some bad money in the form of maybe Biombo and a kid Gilchrist or something like that. In that deal, I think you know they were rumored. I think one reason that that deal broke down, besides maybe this better package from the Raptors, was that they were fighting over the protections on their first round pick. Um, you know, maybe. I mean, I think it was clear that they probably would have gotten the Hornets' first round pick this year. Um, it was probably going to be like maybe like a top 10 protection maybe on that, top 5 protected, I don't know. Um, that's what, that's the idea is that other people are throwing around like on the dunked on uh, mock trade deadline. That pick could be pretty valuable. I'm not sure how I balance the value of that pick, but you have to take on the bad salary to get that pick versus this package where it's like you're getting – People, you're getting players that are on contract. CJ Mouse has another year. Valanciunas, I think, maybe has one more year. Um, and DeLon Wright's going to be a restricted free agent. But at least these guys are, are not completely dead money. Miles, if he can hit threes, can be a nice guy in the locker room. DeLon Wright, he's 27, but he's relatively young in, ter- in terms of NBA experience. He can continue developing. And then Valanciunas, I think, is a solid, underrated option at center. And is also another big guy that can play next to Jaron Jackson, so they don't have to rush putting Jackson at the five yet. Um so I don't love the return for Memphis. I think that once they were rumored that they were really in intense talks of trade Gasol, I think there was no way they could kind of step back and not trade him. So in that sense, I get why they did make the move. They got solid players. They didn't get any really juicy assets in terms of draft or young players. Um, but I think it's a fine return, maybe a little bit disappointing for a franchise icon, I guess. Yeah, that is true. And I mean, in this, I think for... Memphis, they weren't really looking so much for adequate value. They knew they weren't going to get that for Marc Gasol. But, you know, it, it was to have at least some pieces moving forward and then kind of evaluate with those set pieces in pace. So, like you said, it wasn't like you were going to get anything, like, of major. It wasn't a star for a star. You probably would have had more in return if you traded him back, what, 2017, when that was kind of all the rage. 2018, that would have been more of a time. But, you know, they, they kind of got, I think, what, like, some of the best of what they could have had for Gasol in that way. Like, it's not going to be great, but you already knew going in that that wasn't going to be the return you were going to get. Yeah, so, listen, another team at the top of the East making a big move. Again, they're going to have to figure out, you know, on the court, off the court kind of vibes and chemistry. There's not much time left before the playoffs will start. Um, but, I mean, they're not the only team. Again, we've got one more team here, <laughs> the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, 
they went out and acquired Nikola Miritic, and they actually structured this as a three-team deal. So originally, we thought it was going to be, uh, on Wednesday, it was really going to be a swap between the Bucks and Pistons, Thon, Maker for Stanley Johnson, but that this has actually been all combined together. So the final deal is that the Bucks will get Nikola Miritic, the Pistons will get Thon Maker still, and the Pelicans will get Stanley Johnson, Jason Smith, and four second-round picks. And those second-round picks are 2019 uh, Denver second-round pick, 2020 and 2021 seconds from the Wizards, and then the Bucks 2020 second-round pick as well. Um, this deal, I, I, I love... I mean, how can you not love Miro to just fit with the Bucks? I mean, he was born to play with Mike Budenholzer, Mike Budenholzer oh my and the gosh. system that just says just shoot the ball, just shoot it basically every time. Um, you know, Giannis is, gets surrounded with even more shooters now. Miritich is actually a solid defender, um, not a liability on that floor. I mean, there are so many possibilities now where you can put Giannis at center with maybe Miritich alongside of him. Or you could even play big lineups where you have Giannis, Miritich, and Lopez on the floor at the same time. Um, and then who they guard on defense is kind of dependent on the matchup. Um, so in this sense, this is really, I think, out of all these three teams that made big moves at the deadline, I think this is the most seamless fit in terms of on the court and maybe off the court. Um, you know, Miritich is a, is a really strong supporting piece um he's going to be a great upgrade for the bucks there isn't much concern i mean they only basically gave up thon maker you know jason smith wasn't playing so it was basically turning thon maker and, and, and miritich in terms of players that could have played on the court so yeah i mean i wonder how much playing time miritich is going to get given that they didn't really give up many rotation pieces along the way to get him um you know i think the return for the pelicans is, is pretty solid i mean it's four seconds there's no first round pick involved but four seconds could be pretty decent especially if the wizards are bad those two years if they have those picks they get a look at stanley johnson for a little bit um i'm not sure how many first round picks were out there for miritich probably were a couple um but i think this deal is fine for them but i love it for the bucks no, I do as well. Nicola Mitchell is a major upgrade over Thonmaker, really anyone that they were looking for. Sar is a big who could seriously stretch that for Giannis, even more so. You'd have got Brooke Lopez pulling up from what feels like 35 feet. <laughs> <laughs> so having Miritich there, who averaging 16.7 points, 8.3 rebounds, and an assist a game, he's shooting 36.8% from deep on almost, well, not almost, just over seven three-point attempts a game. So he's going to get them up. I mean, you see him play in New Orleans. He is not lacking for confidence, and his shooting stroke is real. And so having him there already unlocks so many um, lineups and options for New Orleans when he's playing there from last season as far as, you know, the best version of themselves, the AD at center um, and playing in and out that way and having Miritich, who at times can literally take over the offensive load for you know in short sense for the team he's playing for. Just a couple threes. You know, he has a nice kind of jump shot game just in in between he's just a good shooter period he's 28 i mean he's in definitely a career year for in my opinion i'm sure you agree with that it's it's something else it's almost i would say it's almost a a replacement for lopez in that way but it's not because he's still there so it's like someone with a similar skill set but more versatility i mean he's he's just a huge upgrade of over ursan Ilyasova. And, um, you know, DJ Wilson to a lesser extent. But basically, you know, Ilya Silva might be out of the rotation now. DJ Wilson will probably get minutes bouncing around the four and the five. But, you know, you've got Giannis, Miritich, Lopez as your three main players in the front court. And then Wilson and Ilya Silva can battle for the fourth front court spot. And then you've got, you still got Middleton and Snell, Brogdon, uh, Bledsoe, George Hill. Like this team still has enough depth on the perimeter as well. Um, that's where I kind of see Miritich fitting in. He's just a, he's just a much better Irsan Ilyasova. I mean, we saw Miritich at his best in the playoffs last year for the, for the Pelicans. It was 
incredible. I mean, he's a guy who can kind of initiate a little bit of his offense on his own. He can bomb away from three. He's not mm-hmm. a liability defensively, unlike a bunch of these other European kind of stretch bigs. Um, yeah. So his value, he just provides a lot more value. Um, and it's kind of funny that they signed Ilya Silver this past offseason and they ended up trading for a much better version of Ilya Silver during the season anyways. But um, mm-hmm. it's a big upgrade. They didn't give away anything significant from their rotation. Um, mm. You know, Maker was really not really in the rotation, especially since he requested the trade. So it's really just a big upgrade. And, you know, a bunch of second-round picks they gave up. Sure, you know, they gave up a lot of seconds. But, I mean, second-round picks are, you know, sometimes, you know, most of the time, pretty bad. So yeah. it's, oh, no. it's hard to say that you, they gave up a really potentially good asset, I guess. Oh, yeah, of course. And and that's kind of the big thing about some of these trades here where, you know what, we got the player that we wanted or someone that's going to be interesting that can help us out, and we didn't have to give up anything lasting or anything of real consequence to us. And I'm, again, a fan of the fact that we were just talking about this Easter conference loading up in the arms race that's been going on everything. And Toronto brings in – they bring in uh, Marcus Gasol, and they can kind of go with those jumbo big lineups. Well, guess what? Like you already mentioned – Milwaukee can kind of counter that. We playing we playing chess. We ain't playing checkers. <laughs> you bring in Kawhi Leonard, Serge Ibaka, and Marc Gasol from Milwaukee. You just slide Miritich in alongside Antetokounmpo and Lopez, and they can kind of hold their own defensively per position. And they got their own like jumbo lineup in that sense. So it's really interesting to kind of see these kind of matchups happen and the extra versatility that most of these teams seem to have uh, focused on. That was their priority. There's nothing that interests me more down the rest of the, of the season, including playoffs. For the, nothing interests me more down the line than the Eastern Conference playoffs starting in the second round. Because I mean, you've got four teams really that are just kind of all in. You've got the Celtics who no one, who didn't make a move, but they've got so many players anyways. You've got the Raptors, the Bucks, and the Sixers. Three of them made significant moves at the deadline. Obviously, the Celtics are still the Celtics. I mean. The second round in the Eastern Conference is going to be a complete bloodbath. Any team that makes it out of the Eastern Conference is going to have to go through, you know, three, you know, two of those teams, and obviously the, the first round probably be a, you know a walkover for most of these teams because the six through eight seeds are going to be pretty weak. But starting in the second round, it's going to be absolutely brutal. The matchups are going to be fascinating um, in terms of like how different Brook Lopez is as a center compared to in a Joel Embiid or Marcus Saul and Al Horford. You know, Giannis versus Kawhi. Oh, the Sixers four stars, you know, how does depth play into the mix, you know, because come playoff time, it's more important to have, you know, a better seven man rotation than it is to have a complete 10 man rotation. So, so many different things to analyze. Obviously, we have a long ways to go before the playoffs and all these teams have to integrate their new pieces. But man, it's gonna be so fascinating to watch. Oh, yeah. And it's gonna make a lot league pass a lot more interesting. <laughs> it definitely is. Um all right, so that, those were the three big moves of this week for the most part. There were still, I mean, obviously there were a lot of trades that oh you know gosh. we haven't touched, but there were still some interesting ones. Um, I think we should move on next to some of these teams that sold on their players for various reasons. I think the first place to start is with the, the Harrison Barnes deal. So this was, uh, I mean, he actually got traded apparently you know during the game, which is kind of crazy, but... Um, mm-hmm. The Sacramento Kings will trade for Harrison Barnes, and the Mavericks will get Justin Jackson and Zach Randolph, who I believe has already been waived or is going to be waived. Um, yeah, they've already been waived. Or they're okay. planning on waiving him. Yeah. Right, yeah. So basically what this is is, uh, I mean, Justin Jackson has actually had a solid, you know, season so far as a young player, but he has a pretty low ceiling as a player. What this is is the Mavericks getting off of Barnes' deal 
um, and at now having the ability to potentially get into the max free agent slot, at least one of one of them, for 2019. So they can try and get one more piece this summer um, to fit alongside Luca and Kristaps. And you know Barnes, I think, has diminishing returns as kind of an overpaid third option alongside Luca and Kristaps. You know, you got Tim Hardaway Jr. there who can also kind of initiate offense as well. Barnes is basically no playmaking. His defense is fine, I guess. Um, he's actually been a, a good three-point shooter this year, but he hasn't always been. That hasn't always been the case. Um, so, I mean, I think Barnes is fine. I think for the Kings, he makes. I mean, I think he definitely makes a lot more sense for the Kings than he did for the Mavericks, which I get why the Kings did this. Um, they wanted a bigger wing that can kind of fit maybe alongside a Bagley, a Bogdanovich, a Fox. Um, in that sense, I get it. They didn't give up too much, really. Justin Jackson, like I said, is pretty limited ceiling, and they've got a bunch of other young guys that they can kind of work on to, to grow and develop, like Buddy Heald uh, as well. Um, so I get it. For, I really get it for both teams. I like it more for the Mavericks because I'm not really a big believer in Barnes's game, um, but I do like the idea of Barnes accepting a lesser role and growing um, with the Kings. I just think it, it, it's a better opportunity for everybody involved. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and he kind of fits them in the sense that I think it's a little bit better than Amon Shumpert, where I think I, – would you agree that he's a better, at least, offensive player than Amon Shumpert? Yeah, definitely. Okay, so then in that sense, I mean, they're both of similar age. I think Barnes is, what, a year younger than him? Um, I'm looking that up right now, actually, as I speak. So, yeah, at 26, a year younger. He's more of that young veteran that I think that a team would benefit from or, or, or in the Kings' case, would need. He's not much more than – than uh, Iman Shumper in that sense, but I do think he's a solid third option that you can kind of reliably say, you know, get some buckets. That's really his whole value on the court. Like you said, he's a fine defender. Uh, Rebounding-wise, not much. Assist-wise, say what? I mean, that, that's pretty much where you're at with Barnes. But you're right, he's been shooting the three very well this year. Um, he'll get some points, I think, in this run-and-gun system that Sacramento has, so probably fit in a little better. And, hey, they're still in contention, and I think Barnes is more of a win-now player, so that's something that you can kind of use there and, and, and keep, you know, through the duration of his contract. Yeah, it's pretty big, but at the same time, you know, the Kings will be okay with that, and I think he has a nice, solid fit in a role that he, he's not pigeonholed or a second banana, third banana masquerading as, as a number one. He knows he's not, you know, the Kings already know that as well. Just bring him back in the kind of, you know, big ancillary piece that he is used to being. So that's there for, for him. As far as the Mavericks, yeah, really just building for the future. The fact they're able to even open up that cast space is crazy. Would not have seen that coming. Um, but, hey, get rid of, you know, a guy who had a four-year, $94 million contract. That'll probably help you out a little bit. And uh, you could say, hey, we got Luca, we got Porzingis, let's build around them. I'm not sure which free agent is probably for another conversation or whatever, which free agent they could reasonably make a run at that I could see going over there. But – I mean, now you at least have the opportunity to do so. Yeah, there are two unlikely ones that I don't. I don't think. I mean, Tobias Harris was one of them, but he just got traded for a team that is all intentions of, of resigning him. And yep. then Chris Middleton's a guy who I don't see leaving unless the the Bucks like completely bomb out of the playoffs or they kind of like lowball him in their offers. I mean, I, I love the fit of Middleton alongside Luca and Kristaps. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so once they traded for for Kristaps, my next thought was like, okay, you know, how's, is there a way for them to get off of Barnes's deal to still have cap space this summer? And they were able to do it, you know, without giving up any assets. Um, they, they get a look at Justin Jackson, who I don't think is a complete throwaway in this deal. Um, and they get the cap space and, you know, Barnes basically has been a, an inefficient scorer. I mean, basically since he went to Dallas, he's just been a, an inefficient scorer with a, with a big opportunity, a, a big role. Um, I think he'll he'll do better. I think he'll become more efficient, hopefully, 
in a smaller role with more looks are created for him where he's not kind of miscast. Um, he, he provides no playmaking. His defense is, you know, <laughs> I'd say below average. Um, but again, I think the role is better for him. Um, and, you know, for the Kings, it makes sense. It, for the Kings, it's really a perspective of they had all this cap space, but, like, who's actually – what are they going to spend it on? So might as well – you know, Barnes has that player option for next year, and then he'll be a free agent. So might as well get a look at Barnes for the rest of this year and next year, and then – you know, think about bringing him back or then they'll still have cap space, you know, theoretically to, to kind of move on from him. So I get it from both teams' perspectives. I like it more for the Mavericks because it gives them another chance at free agency. And I, I don't think it's that hard to replace. Like, I don't think it's going to be too hard for them to sign someone better than Barnes. You know, I think people get a little bit um, distracted by Barnes's numbers where in Dallas, he's been basically a 19 points per game, five rebound five rebounds per game player. And I think yeah. that's a little bit covering up what he actually provides in terms of value, in terms of winning. So I don't think it'll be too hard. I, I can't really think of any free agent they'll sign right now, but I don't, I don't think it'll be too hard for them to sign someone as good, if not better than Barnes this summer with the cap space they just opened up while dumping him and then also getting a look at Justin Jackson. So I like it more for the Mavericks, but I do definitely understand it for the Kings perspective. Okay. That's interesting. I like it. I get what you're coming from. So that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, um, Let's just move on to the next seller because yeah, the Wizards so Wizards made some moves. Um, oh, that's what I'll say. So they their first move was trading Otto Porter um, to the Chicago Bulls. And so the Bulls get Porter and the Wizards got Bobby Portis, Jabari Parker, and a 2023 second-round pick. Um, this is... This is them, obviously, you know, getting out of the luxury tax. Another team that wanted to get out of the luxury tax, opening up more financial flexibility moving forward. They're going to decline Jabari Parker's team option. He might be gone. Bobby Portis is a restricted free agent. Who knows what his value is going to be? Um, you know, restricted free agency hasn't really been kind to big men recently, so I don't think he's going to get a big deal. Um, and they get out of they get out of Porter's contract. I mean, for, that's their perspective. I think it's pretty straightforward for their perspective. I don't think they get any better on the floor this season. Um, or moving forward, I don't think they get really any worse, I would say. I mean, I think Porter, I, I like Porter obviously more than Portis and Parker, but I think, you know, he wasn't really providing too much for the Wizards this year. It was a down year. He's coming off the bench. He's got those hip concerns moving forward as well. I think Portis can actually help them a little bit. Parker, eh, I don't know about that. Um, but for the Bulls, this is where I'm a little bit confused because Porter, to me, is the player that you pay um, – when you have a good team and he's going to be your, you know, your, your definite, your definitive third or fourth option, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I, it's, I agree. It's a little bit different where he's. I mean, they've got Levine to create shots. They don't really. That's the problem. They don't have good point guard play. Levine is not a great playmaker. You know, uh, Porter's not obviously going to be a playmaker. And you know, you've got now you've got a f- potential front court moving forward of Porter, Markinen, and Wendell Carter, all of which need guard play to set them up and I have no confidence in Levine and Dunn or whoever they have at point guard next season or moving forward I have no confidence in those guards setting those setting that front court up for success offensively and then defensively Porter's a fine defender he's a little bit overrated I think due to you know his physical tools um but you know Markin is not this lockdown defender I think Carter can be a really good defender but Levine's not a good defender you know Chris Dunn has been has a good defensive profile but you know, they haven't been good anyways. So I don't like this for the Bulls because I think this is going to be another situation, actually an even worse situation for Porter where he's going to be miscast as a player who should, who's going to have more offensive responsibility and probably more defensive responsibility as well. And for that sense, I don't like the idea of spending your money on, on Porter if you're not a good team and putting him in a third or fourth option. 
Yeah, no, I agree. They're going to look at him like he's a difference maker because of that money, or maybe that's why they thought they traded him when he's really more of a great complimentary player. I mean, off-season for him, but a solid three-point shooter, solid third option, like you said. He's going to be pitching to be in that second option, and I don't think he's going to lead the Bulls to a state of competitiveness. They're still going to be what they are, just with a player who's a little more interesting, a little more intriguing of a fit. And so I get you from that point. Does Chicago have any idea what they're doing? They make the trade aside from just giving away those salaries as far as moving forward. Do they know, I guess, <laughs> did they really do the scouting for an auto porter and kind of know the player that he is? Because you watch him a couple of games, even at his best. And, you know, he's had good, this is a down year for him. He's played well, but not this year. He's had good seasons, but even at his best, a really good complimentary player, a better Harrison Barnes. I'm playing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean <laughs> really, what, I mean, mm-hmm. the, I think the Kings would have been better off trading for Barnes, maybe. I mean, yes. not Barnes, uh, Porter. I should say Porter. Porter, um, Porter, I understand. But, uh, they they wanted more of a, a bigger size wing and probably were a little bit more enamored with with Barnes's scoring ability. Um, that's He's a champion. <laughs> that's probably Sorry. their perspective. Um, <laughs> listen, for the Bulls, there were two areas that they needed before this trade. It was point guard play and it was it was a solid wing. And so the, at least they get a wing on their team that can provide maybe some stability for them. I mean, I do like the idea of a Porter, Market, and Carter front court, but that's a, that's a front court I would like if I had you know an elite point guard. Um, a shooting guard that can play a little bit more defense and can maybe create a little bit more or score more efficiently. Like if you told me their, if you told me their starting lineup next year is Don Levine, Porter, Market, and Carter, I don't think that team's going to be good. I don't think it's going to be bad, like really bad enough to get like top draft picks. But I don't think it's going to be a playoff team. And I think that you know paying Porter alongside with what the backcourt they've got so far, maybe they can make a move for a point guard. Maybe they can draft one that can help them out along the way. If they don't, if they can't figure out their point guard situation over the next couple of years, I think this team is either going to be still be really bad, um, especially if their coaching situation kind of you know stays the same, um, or they're going to be a little bit better than really bad and be stuck in that kind of mediocrity hole of the Eastern Conference. So, I mean, I like teams trading for Porter if they're a good team that's going to put them in a third or fourth option, you know, almost on both ends of the floor, but especially offensively. I don't see the Bulls doing that. I get that they had cap space that they probably weren't going to use, but I don't think that they used it properly on Porter, given where their team is at this stage. So basically, Bull's going to bull. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I feel it. I feel it. Um, let us move on to, uh, I guess there was one more team that made a bunch of cost-saving moves. Um, the Rockets, who involved themselves with a bunch of different what? teams. Um, the, the interesting one, again, actually also involved the Kings as well, so we might as well talk about it now too, is that three-team deal where – here's what happened. So the Rockets getting Iman Shumpert, um, Nick Stauskas, and Wade Baldwin, who they subsequently traded both of those players along with a second-round pick to the Pacers just to dump off their salary, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, the Cavs in this deal – get Brandon Knight, Marquise Chris, and the Rockets' 2019 first-round pick, which is lottery-protected. And then the Kings get Alec Burks in a 2020 second-round pick from the Rockets. So the Kings, basically the Kings are looking at it where it's like they replaced Burks and Shump- they replaced Shumpert with Burks and then added Barnes along the way. Um, though Justin, they also lost Justin Jackson, who was giving them minutes as well. So they did a two-for-two two swap on the, on the wing for them um, and picked up a second-round pick along the way. The, the Cavs are basically doing the, the Cavs are doing the rebuild, you know, basically the way they should, is taking on bad contracts for, for draft assets. The Rockets pick, I think, will probably be in the, in the low 20s, maybe anywhere from like 20 to 22, 23. It's not going to be a complete, you know, it's not going to be the complete end of the first round. Maybe things, you know, 
don't go well for them and they get, you know, maybe late teens, I, I would doubt that. But it's not going to be a completely useless pick. Um, and then the Rockets, they get one piece that can help them out in Shumpert. Um, they, again, like we mentioned before, they subsequently traded out James Ennis. So Shumpert's going to have a nice role in this team. I think Shumpert is an upgrade over Ennis. Um, comparing them, Shumpert's a better, quicker shot. Um, he's also, I think, hitting around 36, 37% from three. I think he's a little bit quicker defensively to guard opposing guards. Um, that, that can help him out a little bit. Doesn't really have too much size compared to Ennis to guard wings, but they probably weren't going to be able to trade for anyone that had size to guard like a Kevin Durant anyways. Um, but really, the, what happened after this three-teamer um, is the Rockets... You know, again, so the three-teamer, I should say, happened on Wednesday. And then on Thursday is when the Rockets made the subsequent moves of trading Stavskis and Baldwin to the Pacers. And then they dumped Ennis to the Sixers. And to do that, I mean, they did that because they wanted to get under the luxury tax, which they have done now. But, I mean, this is a, this is a team that was one game away from the finals that is now making basically every move since July, since the start of free agency, every move for this team that I remind you was one game away from the finals and probably a championship is every every move since the start of free agency has been financially driven. Cacos, cacos. It's just a shame to see a contender, you know, struggling and and being limited. I should say because of that. Now they have been able to plug in guys like Austin Rivers and Kenneth Fareed. And even Amon Shumpert. I mean, they got Shumpert, who's an upgrade over Ennis. They've done all these Rivers, Shumpert, and Farido guys that can help them and play in the rotation. And they've done all that while dumping costs. But this really is not about this team right now because I think the Rockets are a better team today than they were, you know, on, on Tuesday, for example. Now, how much better? I, I don't think it's significant at all. But I think they're a little bit better. But really, this signals down the line, like... You know, now the buyout market's approaching. Are they even going to spend money to get a buyout player? All indications are that they don't want to go over the tax, probably don't want to use the mid-level exception, so they're probably not going to spend more money. They had more money of their mid-level available that made them kind of an attractive destination for potential buyout players, but now it doesn't look like that's the case. So they're just going to be one of the other teams in the running for these numerous buyout guys. We already saw Wes Matthews agree to go to the Pacers over teams like the Sixers, the Rockets, Warriors, things like that. So if they're not going to hit on a buyout player, you know, they're going to be a playoff team. Harden's doing everything he can to carry this team. Um, maybe Paul stays healthy and improves along the line. I think Shumpert's an upgrade over Ennis. Fareed, Clint Capella, when they come back as a fine center rotation, you know, they're, they're going to be fine. But down the line, you know, for the rest of this year in terms of the buyout market and then moving forward in subsequent years, they're not going to really spend money that you would want a contender to spend. And it looks like they're going to just basically every year plug in new players at the veteran minimum on the wing alongside Harden, Paul, and Capella, and, and go from there. That's basically what these moves are, are indicating at least. Yeah, I mean, you that's taking it to them right there. I appreciate you holding Houston ownership accountable. Front office is just, it cannot stand, especially for contender. Thank you, Eric. No, but <laughs> I agree. All that to say that for the most part, it is, it is kind of tragic. I was already calling this from the offseason in the sense that you can easily say, okay, we're going to cut costs and bring in these players under the excuse slash reasoning that the system is really all about uh, declining Chris Paul and overwork James Harden and a, and a Silva and Clint Capella, who's playing well. But, you know, is I would say his year is correct. I think it was more impactful last year, my own personal opinion. Definitely was. He definitely was. Okay. So then there you go with that. But these players, and I thought that maybe going to the deadline, they'd make some different moves, seeing that maybe this wasn't exactly – Correct. You know, that we they aren't interchangeable, that there is a certain kind of synergy, a certain kind of chemistry, and that finding that mold, you just want 3D wings. I'm sorry, the entire NBA wants 3D wings. So 
you're right, but let's get them on the cheap. But you're a contender, so that that doesn't make sense in in in, in the sense that you're obviously going to spend money to get it. I mean, Sam Presti quoted a, a, a lyric, um, what broke money don't make none. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. But like in the sense that 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 just doesn't make any sense to me. Amon Shumpert in a vacuum on his own. It is good. He's had a great season, two-way play, shooting, I think, better he had all year, 39% on catch-and-shoot threes, um, 35% shooting threes in transition. That's great. Defensively, he's been a stalwart a stalwart for the the Kings here, but also, he's undersized. If you're matching up to match up against Kevin Durant, who, who's going to stick him? Who's your wing? I mean, they're going to do it by committee, I'm sure, so I'm sure P.J. Tucker will get some run, but I'm also sure that unless they make some buyout like let's say they're looking at like a Wesley Matthews, or uh, I guess that's really the only two-way guy. I see how they go shoot threes and and play defense. Wayne Ellington, huh. but I mean that that's really the only guy I see on that end. Who's really going to stick Durant? I mean, and, and and on that alone, yeah, Houston helps them marginally. I mean, not Houston. Shumpert helps them marginally short term because you have a player who's at way better of a season than Ennis, a lot more effective. You know, he's been on championship rosters as well, so he kind of has that championship experience, and he can't really quantify that. Uh, you know, you can kind of make reasons why this is work, and I actually think it's a good fit personally. But at the same time, if it's for what really matters, I'm not sure if Shumpert is that guy. I, I, I don't think so. I think you need length. I think you want that three-point shooting. I think you want that defense. And I also think that Shumpert crosses off two of those three check marks. Also, shout-out to Kelly Eco. Great article on The Athletic about – um, the Rockets trade for Mon Shumper, breaking down Daryl Moore and kind of what their plans are from there. My boy, man, hit me up. Okay. There you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that definitely was a great article, but I agree with you. I think also given the other deals that went down after this, I mean, you, you had to think that Ken Bazemore was on the, on the table for the night plus yeah. first round pick package. I mean, that was, that was a deal that everyone discussed basically since October. <laughs> but for real. Like, I was thinking that too. It was like the worst kept secret that actually didn't end up being a secret at all. Um, and then, you know, even a package of Garrett Temple and Jermichael Green for that night plus first round pick package. I mean, considering the fact that, well, we can get to this later, that the Grizzlies traded away those two role players just for Avery Bradley. I mean, they probably would have wanted a first round pick over Avery Bradley. Um, and I know they're eating ba- bad salary at night, but they're not really going anywhere. So what's the point of that? So, I mean, that either Baysmore or the package of, of uh, Green plus Temple um, I think are more appealing than Shumpert and, and Green and Temple are both expirings as well. So I'm not sure. Maybe they just. I mean, in Kelly's article, he had talked about how they were. They they felt so confident they were going to do with the Grizzlies last Friday. That's how confident they felt about doing a deal with them. And you have to think wow. it was that same deal of Green plus Temple for Michael would been nice too. Knight and the, yeah, and Knight in the first round pick. So I mean, maybe the Grizzlies. Uh, apparently, according to Kelly, the Grizzlies took a step back because they wanted to figure out their Gasol thing, and then I guess the Rockets just went forward with this deal. Um, now, I will say this. There was a, a lot of rumors going around that the, the Rockets were really engaged with doing night plus first for Alec Burks from Cleveland. And I'll tell you this. Shumpert is is better than, than Alec Burks. He can play some oh, yes. defense. I mean, he, that that thankfully for the Rockets, they didn't end up with Alec Burks. They ended up with him on Shumpert. But even this trade which we don't have to talk through that much, but even this trade that, that the, the Heat sent Tyler Johnson and Ellington to the Suns for Ryan Anderson, and Ellington is, is basically going to be waived or bought out and then be a free agent. Um, even getting someone like Tyler Johnson for you know Knight and, and the first, um, that might have probably been a little bit more interesting. As a, They don't really need more guard play, but, I mean, Tyler Johnson's another ball handler, can hit the three, can play some really tough defense. Um, I mean, I, I'm not sure I, w- I would have preferred that to Shumpert, but all indications are is that they probably didn't want to take on Bazemore's contract. Um, 
And because of that, and because they couldn't get the deal done with the Grizzlies, they just moved on to maybe the next best available, quote, 3 and D wing that was an expiring, and that ends up being Amon Shumpert. And again, it's, it's really mainly about the bottom line financially for them. It's an upgrade in the short term, but if they're not going to make any moves in the buyout market because they don't want to spend... They're just going to be limited as a, t- as a playoff team and then probably limited in seasons to come if they're not willing to spend what it takes to be a true contender in James Harden's prime, which is kind of a shame to see. But ownership is, is, is the greatest competitive advantage in sports and especially in the NBA, and we see it time and time again. And this is just another clear example of it. Yeah, it's really a shame. And I mean, now it adds more questions because if they're playing this dance now and they are starting last offseason, what are they going to do this upcoming offseason? The same type of deal? I mean, at some point, you just have to put that aside. You're a team with very strong championship aspirations, you pay what you need to pay. I mean, if anything, do the whole big money short-term contracts. You know, one-year deals where you're paying tax for that one thing, but you maintain your flexibility moving forward. I'm not going to go back and bemoan the Ariza signings and Bob Mute, who hasn't played in I don't know how long with that undetermined injury. I mean, on that end, I will concede that I guess that was smart because imagine if Houston had re-signed major money and he did do a thing with it. I mean – the, the, whatever is going on with him wouldn't have changed. It's really just the money that would that would really been the 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 differing factor here. So that would have been a nightmare. But uh, Ariza still no excuse in my opinion for that. And you're right. At a certain point in time, you have to look at it and say, listen, we're going to win. We're using James Harden's prime. He's going to be 30 this upcoming season. That's or this season, if I remember. I have to check. Anyway, he's going to be 30. Chris Paul's already into his mid 30s coming up. In and you look at Capella, and he's a he's a good player, but he's also not the player that you're going to throw. Any, all the burden, you know, all the burden on. So I, I just, I don't know. It's something to, it, 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 it's it's a shame. It's really a shame, and you pretty much already said it more than I can. Yeah, so Harden, Harden turns 30 in in next. August. Yeah, so okay, basically so for next, yeah, off season. Um, But yeah, it, it's a shame, but th- I think their plan is basically just to keep cycling out wings and other role players at the, at the veteran minimum for the next couple of years. And this summer, it didn't work. And it's funny, Mellow, MCW, and Ennis have all, are all gone. Those were the three signings they made in, in the offseason. Um, <laughs> so they're just going to try and keep hitting on, on players like that to kind of keep the cost low. And, you know, that's, that's their main plan. But uh, let's move on to some other smaller deals that mainly happened in the Western Conference. I guess we'll start off with the Lakers because they made a trade. They made two trades. One was on... Uh, Wednesday, I believe, where they traded for Reggie Bullock. Um, they gave up Svi Mikhailuk um, and the 2021 second-round pick for Reggie Bullock, who I'm a big fan of Reggie Bullock. I love his game. Um, off the court, he, he does some great stuff. Um, yeah. And so I, I like the fit. Now, I mean, we can get to the Pistons' perspective. It's a little bit confusing for me, but I guess their plans were, we're not going to sign Bullock. Let's get this young team control player who has a similar profile to Bullock as a shooting guard um, and then get a second round pick in addition to that. I, I really do like the fit of Bullock. He can provide some shooting. He's not a, he's not really a liability defensively. Obviously, no one talks about his defense, but he's not going to be a complete liability in that sense of the, of the floor and the Lakers need shooting. So I definitely understood that trade um, for Reggie Bullock. And then um, before I get your perspective, I'll just throw out what their other trade was. Well, they actually dealt with um, the Clippers. And so the Clippers, like I mentioned before, um, took Mike Muscala from the from the Tobias Harris trade and then moved him to the Lakers for Michael Beasley and uh, Zubac. Um, and that deal I, I don't like, um, only because Zubac, uh, I know they needed shooting and Muscala is a shooting big man. It's funny, they did have Brook Lopez on the roster last year, but uh, again, <laughs> we'll, we'll probably say that basically every time we talk about the Lakers. Um, but I, I like Zubac, obviously he, he, he's impressed in recent weeks, obviously he had that big Christmas Day game against the Warriors, but he's also impressed in recent weeks after that, so giving him up for someone to take on Michael Beasley 
to get Mike Muscala, who's really he's fine, but he's not going to really put you over the edge. Um, I don't like giving up a young, you know, no. cost controlled big for a guy like Muscala. I do like the Bullock move. I don't like the Muscala trade. No, I'm with you on both both accounts all the way. Bullock, great, great shooter. Uh, I love V, but he's only shooting 33% from three. Off cost control, everything that'd be doggone. He probably would be filler in another trade if we could get AD. Not even going to talk about that. No, I'm kidding. But um, <laughs> yeah, Reggie Bullock, you already mentioned the impact he has on the court. Uh, just lights out three-point shooting uh, above 40-something percent for the last three seasons. Last four, actually. Um, the stuff he does off the courts also. He's just a really good guy to root for on and off the floor. That's a great trade. I did not like losing Avicius Zubac. He was a young big. Really could have used him as a serviceable guy that still has much to develop. I, mean, I don't know why they gave up on him so early, even as a sweetener for Michael Beasley. I mean, I thought we'd have learned having already used D'Angelo Russell as a sweetener <laughs> for Tim Moskov's contract and seeing where that leads us now. But I guess such is life. So it's weird. I think that the Lakers are really just mystified. It's really not even about the moves that they made more so than the moves that weren't made. <laughs> and I'm sure that's just a whole other story in itself and something I'm very anxious to see even starting tonight, how the Lakers respond, you know, with their entire roster still there and, you know, confidence possibly shattered, but we'll see. But in that same vein, yeah, it's like right now we're just kind of cutting off the little pieces of the youth. Zubox is gone. That was a service big that could have helped. I think he actually did spell minutes for uh, Tyson Chandler and JaVel McGee already, and he had some really shining games. You even mentioned it. Um, the last three alone uh, against the Clippers, uh, well, it was only 7-3 and three in 18 minutes. Against the Warriors, 10-9 and nine in 26. And then Pace was 8-4 and four in 19. So more minutes, I think he's, uh, he would have done better. He's averaging basically 6-4 and four in his career, um, almost 9-5 and five for this season. So, And he's only 21. You know what I mean? He has soft hands, uh, good motor. You know, there, there's really I, – I, there was so much to like about that guy. So as a Laker fan, I'm kind of upset, but – I think he's going to get another opportunity where he'll probably get more time to develop and really shine through. And for someone like Mike Muscala, who, yes, is a great shooter, and we need those, I don't like the opinion of trading away pieces that were signed the offseason to rectify issues that you could have rectified in the offseason. Yeah, by well, keeping Brook Lopez on the team. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You bring, keep Brook Lopez on the team, you don't have to worry about even taking um, someone like uh, – What's, what's his name? Giving rid of someone like Avicii Zubac or signing someone like Mike Muscala. You already had a better version of that already who's just bombing away up in Milwaukee. So there you go with that. Same thing with some moves. Yeah, I mean, Michael Beasley being let go. If you had signed someone you needed and kept Michael Beasley. I think I actually like Michael Beasley. Uh, a, a small ball five in spots. Um, he's already had a rough year. I thought he wasn't optimized to the best of his ability in with the Lakers. I thought there was still more of a chance for him. Um, and he just wasn't put in a position that was great for him. Instant offense. You could have put him with some defensive lineups. I mean, there was so much I thought that wasn't utilized with Michael Beasley. I think it's really a shame, but it's over with now. But at the same time, you know, you, you go – the Lakers is just emblematic of their plan. I, you already talked about the Rockets and how you, you know, weren't a fan of their strategy moving forward. I'm really not a fan of the Lakers strategy moving forward because it doesn't seem like they have a concrete one all the way. And I, I can go to separate on that, but I'll save that. <laughs> well, I, I am interested to see how they respond moving forward. Obviously, there have been so many rep- reports of the, all their young players being on the table and LeBron wanting maybe to, wanting them to make a move, and then they don't make a move, and how do yeah. they bounce back and make the playoffs? I mean, this team has the talent to make the playoffs. When LeBron was healthy early in the season, they were basically on a 50-win pace. So they have the talent to make the playoffs. The Clippers, you would imagine, with the moves that they made, trading Tobias, um, they're kind of maybe in this this area where they don't really care about the playoffs. So it basically looks like it's going to come down to the Kings and the Lakers for that A seed um, wow. or, or more, but, but one of the last playoff seeds probably. And you have to favor the Lakers. They got LeBron James. I, I mean, they got LeBron James and other 
really interesting young players who, you know, obviously as headliners for an AD package probably aren't intriguing, but fitting as role players alongside guys like LeBron, you know, can they have, again, they were basically under 50 win pace early in the season. So if everyone can stay healthy and they can gel and kind of get passes, maybe I'm still picking them to make the playoffs. So, I mean, they should make it. Yeah, there has to be a run at some point in time. Right now, they're at 500. If and when they lose to the Celtics tonight, they're going to be under 500. And what? Three games off the eighth seed? Oh, no, they're three games out now. So four games out the eighth held by the Clippers and right behind them, the Kings. So, and it's crazy to think, with LeBron James, and mind you, injuries have been a very big factor of this, but the Kings have a better record than the Lakers. I would never have seen that coming, ever. That is really crazy. Also, one thing we didn't talk about, and I'm not sure if I want to talk about it because it might kind of depress you a little bit. I mean, but oh, they no. opened up a roster spot today. And, uh... <sighs> Melodrama? <laughs> I mean, yeah. there are guys... Why aren't they going after Wayne Ellington? Or something like that. I... Wait, just use it on Wayne Ellington. If they Seriously. if they take Anthony over Wayne Ellington, uh, it, it's malpractice. It is. I'm going to lose it. You said it. It's malpractice. It is front office malpractice. I'm and sure. you know they're going to because LeBron it has all the weight on that. And he's a veteran who can help them with what? I, I, it's it's going to be really disappointing. I mean, there anybody. I think I think it would be better if they got anybody else who's available in the buyout market than Carmelo Anthony at this point. But I mean, now it's not given. I think there were reports that they're they're seriously going to look into it, which probably mm-hmm. is just the good the first sign of yeah, we're probably going to do it. Um, oh yeah. But uh, God, I mean, why? it's a waste. It's why? a waste. I don't understand. It's always. I, and I, I do not understand it. I, mean, I really don't. Like, is someone getting, like, is, do these keep getting tricked? Like, does Melo walk into these meetings and hypnotize the front office? I, I don't understand these. Yeah, I, I get you. I, I, I just, uh, it's it's annoying. I mean, I would have I hoped they made a run for, like, I don't know how available or not he was, but a Terrence Ross, someone who really fits position of need. This seems like. Just a foregone conclusion that Melo's going to join the Lakers. And mind you, that was something I wanted back in 2014. Not necessarily something I want now. In fact, it's not something I want now. But here we are. Yeah. Um, but So when that happens, it's probably going to happen. But we don't know for sure. So let's just um, move on to another deal. The Grizzlies made another move where they sold off players. And again, this is what I went back to where the Grizzlies traded away Garrett Temple and Jermichael Green to the Clippers just for Avery Bradley. I mean, if I'm the Grizzlies, I would have preferred getting a first-round pick than Avery Bradley, who has quietly been really bad this year. Um, and he's got this non-guaranteed um, contract for next year where they can basically get rid of him. I think I think only $3 million is guaranteed. But if you're the Grizzlies, you're not going anywhere. Why not take on a bad salary to get a first-round pick instead of getting Avery Bradley, which doesn't fit anywhere in your timeline as a team moving forward? Um for the Clippers, I mean, Bradley is, was bad. I mean, Temple, I think is Temple's been better than Bradley this year, and then they also got Jermichael Green. I mean, this is one of those deals where it's like, you look at their depth chart, right? You've got Beverly, you got Ty Wallace, obviously, Shai Gilgis, Alexander, Garrett Temple, Lou Williams, Landry Shamit, um, mm-hmm. Galinari, Wilson Chandler, Jermichael Green. I mean, they've got a bunch of guys here. I mean, they've got a lot of guys. I mean, yeah. Jerome, Jerome Robinson, their first-round pick, their second first-round pick this year is listed as sixth in the depth chart um, at shooting guard. Uh, I mean, they've got a lot of guys now. They they don't have any guys to really, especially if Gallo's injured. They have, you know they don't really have much offensive creation. They've got a bunch of young guys. Um, but listen, Lou and Harrell and Beverly and, and Temple and Gallo. These are going to be veterans that are going to keep them competitive. You know they're going to fall short of the playoffs probably, but. Who knows? And we can't say. I wouldn't say I rule them out for sure. I I would say that they're definitely not prioritizing it because they know their pick. They'll lose their pick if they make the playoffs. So I'm not saying they're going to tank, but 
they they have enough guys where they could be competitive enough to finish you know close to that A seed um, and then keep their pick. Um, but for the Grizzlies, why don't you why aren't you really working for a first round pick for that package? Um, obviously, you'd have to take on a bad salary, but it's out there. There are teams yeah. that want to dump bad salaries to give you a first round pick to do it. Bradley is is bad now, and he's not going to stick around next year. So why not get the? Fee- I'd rather have a first round pick than Avery Bradley. No, I agree with you. If you can get that, get that. I mean, Avery Bradley does what? I mean, he's having – I'm not even going to Avery Bradley. I think it's always – it's already a well-known fact of his play and, and his fit is just non-existent there. So you're right. If you can get that first round, do that if you can get that first rounder. You know what you're going to have to take, but this is the nature of the biz. I mean, they're not just hanging out assets. You're going to have to get something for it. That's fine. I don't understand why. Maybe that wasn't a priority or maybe it was and it was denied and they just said, okay. You know, they have those memes where it's like – First rounder, please. No. Okay. You know, those kind of, you know, maybe it was something like that. But I, I mean, either way, I, I just bad negotiating on that part. I don't really see the need for that. First rounder, Avery Bradley, or even better yet, the possibility of a first rounder, Avery Bradley. It's, 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 a, it's not even a, it's not even an argument for me. Yeah. Um, and there are a bunch of teams I think could have used Temple and Jermichael Green, like the Sixers oh, trying to get gosh. that package somehow, but they didn't really, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think they had any contract. I don't think the Sixers, after they used Chandler's contract with Skyla, I don't think they had any contracts to, to match up with that. Um, the Thunder, I think, the Thunder make the most sense to me for Wayne Ellington. Um, we'll see. That he's going to have a lot of suitors. I think the Pistons are heavily rumored. The Thunder, obviously. Even teams like the Sixers could still use him. Maybe the Rockets somehow attract him. Um, I'm not sure how they would, but there's going to be a lot of suitors for, for um, Ellington, and that'll be the buyout market will be very, very interesting because there's the Enos Cantor, you got Ellington. Um, oh, don't start with Cantor though. You oh can't, no, you can't I know. start the buyout market. I'm playing. <laughs> <laughs> well, really, I mean, there are a few teams that should actually look at him, but he'll he'll be you know available. And then Gortat got waived. I mean, there are going to be players available, but um, let's just run through a couple of these small deals. I mean. Uh, we didn't talk. The, the Blazers did make a move. Um, they traded for Rodney Hood. And ironically, this this deal was on Super Bowl Sunday. And this is the first deal that Nick Stauskas and Wade Baldwin were included in. Um, oh, wow. But they – so it was Stauskas, Baldwin, and two second-round picks uh, in 2021 and 2023 for Rodney Hood. And at the time, I, I mean, I still think it's an overpay. Uh, I mean – Hood for two. I mean, obviously they don't they don't care about Stiles because they don't care about Wade Baldwin. But two second round picks for Hood. I mean, they probably could have gotten him for just one, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a slight overpay. I think that Hood is an upgrade over Stauskas. He can provide some ball handling, a little bit of shooting on the second unit, maybe spell uh, Lillard and McCollum, maybe play them together so they can. If teams trap Lillard or McCollum, they can get the ball to Hood and he can do something. But Hood has not been that very good. Basically, since he got traded to the Cavs, he has not been very good. He's been, you know, pretty bad, actually. So I don't know about giving up two second-round picks for him. I would have loved it if the Blazers took their first-round pick and someone like Mo Harkless and really went in for, like, a mirror titch. Like, or something. I mean, was that not available for them? I mean, give, why don't you yeah. shop your first-round pick and Harkless or your first-round pick and maybe a young player for mirror titch? I mean, did the... I mean, did the Pelicans really prioritize four seconds and Stanley Johnson for against maybe maybe a first from the Blazers and, and one of the young guys or a first in Mo Harkless or something like that? So, again, we'll, we'll probably find out over the next couple of weeks what deals were available. And, oh, we were so close to acquiring him, but this team didn't want our pick or we couldn't figure out the protections or something like that. Um, so I don't love that for the Blazers. I get the idea of it, getting some second some second unit creation and ball handling. Um, but it, it's just, yeah, it's, it's meh. That's, that's really what it is to me. 
Yeah, um, it, it's it's dumb. I mean, quite frankly, it's dumb, and and not really a good use of searching out for the best deal and optimizing the assets that you have at your disposal, um, and what you can get for said assets. Uh, you know, it, it was probably available, although New Orleans has been kind of weird from what I've been getting as far as what they've been doing in in prioritizing trades, and if that AD scenario was of any uh, example of that. But no, that that just was not. It was just like you said, malpractice, just mismanagement for sure at the highest level. <laughs> and uh, the Blazers also made another move. They actually swapped the young big men with the Kings. So the Blazers receive Scal Labissier, and the Kings receive <laughs> and the Kings receive uh, Caleb Caleb Swanigan. I I mean it's I mean, it's, it's on the margin. It's it's really those fringe moves. But I like Labissier more than Swan, Swanigan, so I like it. I mean I've always kind of liked Scal a little bit. I think a team should have bought low on him. You know even last year. Um, once it was clear he was really not in the rotation or the Kings' plans. So I actually kind of like them getting getting Scal. I don't think it's going to do anything for them you know, this year. It might not do anything for them ever, but I like it's a, smite, a slight upgrade on the margins for me. So I'm okay with that one. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's something boost. Scal's a lovable guy, <laughs> likable guy. I'll take that. Yeah, it's, it's not much there other than that. Um, so we mentioned the Tyler Johnson deal. The Grizzlies, oh, the Grizzlies did trade Shelvin Mack to the Hawks for Tyler Dorsey. Uh, I believe the Hawks are going to waive Shelvin Mack. And um, Tyler Dorsey is kind of one of their young guards. Um, you know, he's 22. He, he, I mean, people probably know him best from playing at Oregon. Um, you know, this year, he really hasn't been able to hit a shot. Um, he, he doesn't play that much. Last year, he had a bigger role, and he actually kind of he, he hit his shots at a decent rate and looked like a somewhat co- capable prospect um but this year it's been even worse um so it, it's it's just getting off of shelby mac what's interesting those are all the deals that actually went down i believe um yes so what's interesting to me is that the hawks didn't end up trading deadman or jeremy lynn or ken Bazemore, and they were the yeah. team that were probably most likely to trade off their veterans and similar to last year with bellinelli and Ilyasova, they didn't trade them and then they bought them out i'm not sure they're going to buy them out i think they kind of prioritize having a good culture in the locker room and they don't really care about losing a bunch of games because the lottery odds have, have flattened you know across the board for the most part um but it's interesting that not a single deal for one of those veterans because those guys could really help help a playoff team yeah it, it really is a shame because we've been talking about these guys on the hawks as, as possible trade targets from basically the beginning of the season up to now when the trade deadline inevitably came these were the three guys that most likely be moved maybe you know um the Rockets would be interested. The Warriors would be interested. We talk about different teams and all this for nothing. And you're right. I guess, you know, culturally, I don't think they'll move them. You're right. It, losing is just a byproduct of what they're doing right now. They're trying to build a culture from the ground up, you know, keep that same stable locker room, I guess. I get that. But at the same time, I, I don't know, were they not available? Do they not have an offer that was to their liking? Uh, was they, were they ever really even on the market to begin with? Uh, it's, it's questions I, I would not know the answer to. Yeah, and it's probably stuff we might learn uh, along the way. We might not ever hear about what offers were on the table for them. Um, but it's interesting that they weren't dealt. Um, but, man, I mean, what a deadline. That was unbelievable. Ooh, um, so fun. And, you know, obviously there are so many teams to watch now. Obviously the, the biggest one is, is those three teams in the East that made moves and how they, you know, how we would see how they fit on the court and off the court and there are future ramifications for teams like the Sixers and the Raptors, less so for the Bucks. Um, you know, the Wizards, you know, Wizards and Rockets makes primarily made financial moves. You know, the Kings taking a little bit of a, of a not a risk, but taking a, um, a chance on, on, you know, figuring out what they got in Harrison Barnes, maybe in a lesser role. There were so many fascinating trades. I mean, 
I think there were like over 20 trades since the Porzingis deal, which I also still find is one of the most fascinating ones. So the Porzingis deal, the Harris deal, all the other ones, just makes the NBA such a great league to cover um, with, with all these moving parts, all this stuff to analyze, and obviously gives us, you know, the second quote-unquote second half of the season, even though it's only like 25 games. It makes it so interesting to watch all these teams as they prepare for what could be a really, really, at least in the Eastern Conference, a really, really eventful and really, really tough playoffs. Oh, yes. Without a doubt, it does. It, this is just one of those days, like you said, it's just so fun to cover. So much content, so many moving parts, and this stuff will continue to evolve. We'll continue to evaluate. I mean, this is just the, the quick initial rea- analysis. I don't want to say quick, but initial analysis to everything that happened just now. Who knows kind of how else this will bear out when the buyout market comes into play, all of that. Yeah, so um, maybe we'll do a uh, winners and, and losers podcast after we've been able to kind of at least see some of these players on their new teams over the like next that. week or so. Um, now the next step is basically watching watching how these teams fit fit in their new players and then watching the buyout market. Those are the two things to keep an eye out for moving forward. And, you know, quickly the playoffs will be here, you know, sooner than, than, than we imagine. Obviously, we've got the All-Star break coming up, but an eventful deadline. Um, so that'll wrap up this special trade deadline episode of the 94 NBA podcast. Of course, you can follow uh, me on Twitter at Eric Spiros NBA. You can follow the site and pod on Twitter at the 94 underscore uh, Corbin. You can always throw out your handle and where people can follow you. Oh, of course. At Corbin Ford NBA. Had a busy day. They're going to have three podcasts totally done here by the end of the <laughs> night. So I'll try to retweet those, but, but stay tuned for this one as well, man. We got some fun. stuff. this is fun. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll be bringing you more content. Probably, like I said, probably do a winners and losers um, podcast over the next week or so. Um, and then obviously we'll be covering the rest of the season as things, you know, unwind and, and the top of the Eastern conference somehow gets settled out, but, uh, follow us on Twitter, follow us for ep- episodes of the pod and, and just kind of to engage with us on Twitter. We'll, we'll probably get back to doing some more mailbags over the next couple of weeks. So just definitely follow us on Twitter to send in your questions. Um, but have a great week of watching NBA basketball. Enjoy seeing these new players on these new teams and uh, take care. <laughs> All right, y'all.